The name Acts of the Apostles was first used by St. Irenaeus in the late 2nd century. Luke, a companion of the Apostle Paul, wrote the book of Acts, as well as the Gospel of Luke. This book is of critical importance as a history of the Church and of the work of the Holy Spirit through the disciples in establishing the Church. We learn of the thrilling birth of the Church on the day of Pentecost and of the spread of the Gospel throughout the world. For the rest of 2022, we will study the Church in Jerusalem, Acts chapters 1-7. through 7. The birth of the Church is known as the Day of Pentecost. It is 50 days after the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Jesus anticipated this important date and gave clear instructions to his disciples about what they must do. Acts 2 verses 4 to 5 reads, Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The disciples do not know what is about to happen, but they will discover that followers of Christ must be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to do the work that Christ commands us to do. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, we are so excited about this brand new series in the book of Acts. And I'm going to tell you the Cross Church is going to do something that we've never done before. We are going to go through the whole book and it's going to take at least a whole year to do that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, never done anything like this. And so I'm going to ask you, if you could, uh, get in the habit of bringing your, your Bible to church, like your actual physical Bible. Um, I, the, you know, the, the Bible on your phone is fine, but I'd like you to interact with the Scripture. I'd like you to get in the habit of making notations and underlining verses that are especially important. And one of the things that you will quickly recognize is that the book of Acts really is uh, not just a history, but it is a guidebook for us to know about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And you, uh, you'll maybe remember that in the video clip we just heard that, that the, the book of Acts is oftentimes called the Acts of the Apostles, uh, but uh, some scholars would suggest that it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And so we recognize that the book of Acts is, is very unique, and so we're going to be talking to you more about the actual writing of the books. There's, there's so much information. I can keep you here for the rest of the day just discussing the introduction to the book of Acts. But we want to get into verses 1 to 5 in just a moment. But let me just say this to you. Um, the the book of, of Acts was written by Luke. This is a painting by Vladimir Borovikovsky. Did I get that right, Andrew, our resident Russian? Uh, this was done in, in around 1804. And uh, the thing that you need to know about Luke is that he was a Gentile convert to Christianity. Uh, he was a physician. Uh, sometimes the Apostle Paul would call him his beloved physician, and he was uh, an historian, and a, a historian of, of, of great note, actually. 
And furthermore, his Greek was excellent. In fact, if you, if you read Greek, you'll see that the Greek in Luke, the, the, the Gospel of Luke and in Acts, is, uh, is really among the best Greek in the whole Bible. Luke was also a leader in the church. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul through the book of Acts. You'll notice that he often uh, will refer to himself and his companions as we. And this is the way that Bible scholars have been able to determine that Acts was actually written by Luke. And, of course, the Apostle Paul recognized him as a, a great and godly man. The early church called him Luke the Evangelist. He wasn't an apostle, but he was definitely an evangelist. Now, when Acts was written, it was handwritten on a scroll. It's interesting, if you look at a lot of the paintings of Luke, you'll see that he's actually writing in a book like this. But you have to understand that 2,000 years ago, they weren't using books like this. Uh, this, is, uh, this is something that, that came into being much, much later. Instead, it was written on a scroll, and if you, if you sort of unwound the scroll, you find it's about 35 feet long. And, and what they would do is they just would, would manipulate the scroll in such a way that they just slowly went through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. The book of Acts, in case you're wondering, was written in around 61 AD. One of the things that the detractors and critics of Christianity will say is that, oh yeah, the, 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 the New Testament was written hundreds of years after the events. But in fact, it was written probably just, uh, well, maybe less than 30 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. So we're talking about very, uh, very contemporary history. Uh, it's, it's like hot off the press, if you want to use that term. And it's important for us to understand that. I mean, I could think of what happened 30 years ago. Um, I'm, I'm that old. I can, I can remember it very well, in fact. I mean, there's a number of us who are alive today that are, were alive 30 years ago. How many remember the Gulf War? Yeah, we remember that. We can remember the details very well. Who was the general? George Schwarzkopf. Did I get that right, Andrew? <laughs> So, I mean, we can remember these things. So I want you to see that, that, that the, the scriptures as we understand it, and I'm going to talk about more of this in just a moment, is, is very, very reliable. And for those who want to critique or criticize what we believe and criticize the scriptures that we use, I want you to see that this is highly re reliable information. Um, I want you also to understand that the book of Acts records the, the, the deeds of the apostles. Uh, some people want to limit it to just the apostle Paul, but the apostle Paul doesn't appear until Acts chapter 7. And so we recognize that it's not just Paul, but all the apostles and their activity in proclaiming or heralding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, just a quick reminder to everybody. The reason why we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ is because that's our calling. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's what the early church did, and that's what Jesus called his apostles to do. So the book of Acts, it sheds light on the gift of the Holy Spirit given on the day of Pentecost, and we'll be talking about that uh, very shortly in just a few weeks. And it talks about how the Holy Spirit empowers, guides, teaches, and serves as our counselor. How many know that the Holy Spirit is sometimes called the counselor, or the comforter, or the paraclete, the one who's alongside us, who's with us, who never leaves us nor forsakes us? Hallelujah. Now, reading the book of Acts, 
we are informed and encouraged by the power of the gospel to transform lives. And this is really what Acts is all about. It's a record of the transformation of lives in Jerusalem out unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, let's get right into it then, and we'll talk about the introduction to the book of Acts. And uh, Luke says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So the thing that I first want you to see is that Acts is written to a man by the name of Theophilus, and Theophilus is a Greek name which means friend or lover of God. Theos meaning God and philos meaning love. And, and so some scholars actually think Theophilus is not a real person, but Theophilus represents everybody who is a lover or a friend of God. But we, uh, I personally believe that Theophilus was a real person because we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, that he is referred to as the most excellent Theophilus. So he's, he's obviously uh, a, a real person, and it's somebody who's very, very much interested in and concerned to know who God is. There may be people here this morning who are interested to know who God is. You want to know more about Jesus Christ. You want to know more about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. What does it all mean? Well, hopefully, through the book of Acts, you'll begin to understand that. Let me just say this also, that that Acts and Luke actually are a two-volume set, if you want to put it like that. Luke Luke begins the story of Christ's birth. In fact, nobody uh, talks more about the birth of Christ than Luke does. And so he's gathered all this information. Let me just read it to you, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, Luke says, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. And so there's his name again at the very beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 3. And Paul, or Luke goes on to say, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Now, I just want you to pause for a moment and think about that. The, the thing that the Holy Spirit wants to telegraph to us, the thing that God wants us to know and understand, is that this is not just a myth. And some people like to refer to Christianity as just another religion. But I just want to disabuse you of that notion this morning. Christianity is not just another religion. It is, in fact, a worldview. If you take a note, you better write that one down. That's really, really important to understand. Christianity is not just another religion, but it's a whole different way of viewing the world, of viewing history, of viewing the present, and viewing the future. And later on in, in the year, in November, I told you I'm so excited about the, the classes that we'll be doing. We're going to be actually doing a class on Christian worldview. And you need to understand that Christianity is not just another religion with just another God. Christianity as a worldview declares something that is very exclusive and some would find very insulting. Christianity declares that there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's very insulting for some people. Some people get very angry at that. Nevertheless, this is the gospel that we are called to preach here in 
in Cross Church, in Canada, in this community, and around the world. Would you say amen to that? And so that's what we're doing. Now, scholars over the centuries have recognized that Luke is, in fact, one of the best historians in in antiquity. I don't know if if any of you have ever heard this before, but they they view Luke uh, as an excellent historian. And the way that they know that is because they have have, uh, fact-checked everything that the Apostle Paul says. Uh, back at the uh, beginning of the last century, there was a British scholar by the name of William Mitchell Ramsey. He was a huge skeptic of Christianity. He, he was, in fact, uh, he was in a frame of mind where he thought, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll try to disprove Christianity. I'll, I'll prove to the Christians that they're believe, believing a load of nonsense. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you, you, uh, you thought that Christianity was nonsense as well. Well... This, this British scholar, William Mitchell Ramsey, he set out to follow in the steps of the Apostle Paul, uh, especially as Paul goes through, through his journeys in the book of Acts. Well, Mr. Ramsey discovered that everything Luke records is in fact accurate, from the names to the places to the events. In fact, he was so astonished at the accuracy of what, of what Luke records in the book of Acts that by the time he returned back to Britain, he'd become a Christian. <laughs> That's how sure he was. That's how moved he was. That is how impressed he was by the accuracy of Scripture. Now, I want you to see verse 2. It says, until the day that Jesus was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit, um, I want you to see something here, that Acts is in fact the bridge. Acts chapter 1 is the bridge between Jesus' life and ministry that we see in the book of Luke to the point or to the time in which he ascends to the Father and, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit comes in chapter 2. So understand that. We're talking now in chapter 1 about the bridge to this, this new era of the reign of the Holy Spirit through Christ. Uh, on this earth. And then in verse 3, it says, During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, that word uh, prove there, tekmirion, it actually, in Greek, the, the, the interpretation of that word is more than just proof, it's not strong enough. Um, the word is unquestionable evidence. It's clear proof that Jesus Christ did, in fact, rise from the dead. And what you need to understand is that the early church, they went to great lengths to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in fact, Luke records the, the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can find that in chapter 24 of Luke. But Luke and Paul, their companions, they travel together to do their missionary work. They would have discussed the fact of the resurrection time and time again. In fact, they would have discussed it in great depth and often. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if there is no resurrection, then in fact, there is no Christianity. Did you, did you know that? The whole, the whole faith hinges 
on the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. If there's no resurrection, then folks, you got up this morning early for nothing. You came to church for nothing. That means you've been giving your money to the work of God for nothing. But the early church wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the resurrection is in fact a fact. And this is why we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8, what many Bible scholars believe is the actual, actually the first creed of the church, and it goes like this, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. And again, you might want to mark that in your Bible, the, the very first creed, and it goes like this. Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter, that's right. And then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And some scholars like to to call that a mass uh, hallucination. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. And I believe it's for this reason, it's not just a one-time event that Jesus appears. He appears to many, he appears to a few, he appears to one. Verse 7, then Jesus appeared to James and to all the apostles, and at last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Of course, he's talking about when he was uh, struck by that blinding light on the road to Damascus where Jesus Christ himself appeared to him. Now, I want you to see something here. It's very important to understand this. In essence, what, the, what, what, what Paul is saying here, what the early believers were saying, what the early church was saying, is go check this out for yourself. You don't believe that Jesus was resurrected? Go ask somebody. There are hundreds of people that you can ask. There's many, many people. You Go and check, check it out for yourself. Make sure in your own heart and mind that this is in fact true because there's hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection. So what's Luke doing here? What he's doing is he's establishing a firm foundation for the proclamation of the gospel in order that the gospel may go forward. Do you understand that this morning? We need to understand that the proclamation of the gospel is, is on that solid foundation that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that Jesus Christ died for us and rose from the dead. Does everybody understand that this morning? Critical that you, you get that. Because if there's no resurrection, then there's no point going on. So here's, here's, what, here's what Luke is doing right from the very beginning here. He's establishing that Christ did, in fact, arise from the dead. And then Paul, uh, Luke goes on to say that Jesus talked to his disciples uh, about, about the work of the kingdom, about the point of the kingdom, etc. So let's go on then to the next verses. And, and Luke says, once when he was eating, that is, Jesus was eating with the disciples, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John was baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus teaches us that we cannot live the Christian life, we cannot obey God, We cannot do anything for the Lord with 
without the Holy Spirit. Does everybody understand that today? Are you sure of that? Jesus is warning his disciples that they must trust God in order for them to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, we, we first see the Great Commission, or many of you are familiar with the Great Commission in the book of Matthew at the end of the chapter. Jesus says, go therefore into all the world, and what? And make disciples. That's right, you got it. <laughs> so now what we're seeing here is Jesus saying to his disciples, don't make a move. Don't try to go make disciples. Don't try to do anything until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. Because we live in a day and an age now where we believe that we can be Christians in our, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power. You don't believe me. Well, back in the 80s, I went to a conference uh, it was actually uh, Peter Wagner was the one that was hosting this. It was Church Growth. And this is the book that he, uh, he wrote, Church Growth, a State of the Art. And he gives all the ways that you can uh, grow your church. Now, thankfully, there is one chapter in there about the work of the Holy Spirit in all of that. But I want you to see something here. I believe that that was... That was the beginning of serious decline in the church in the West. The day that pastors believed that they could actually do the work of growing a church in their own wisdom, in their, with their own skills, their own talents, their own abilities, that was the beginning of serious decline. See, Peter Wagner would say, of course you need the Holy Spirit. And everybody would say, of course you need the Holy Spirit. But what was happening is that Rather than depending, literally depending on the Holy Spirit for every move, pastors began to engage and use a number of the strategies that these men were talking about. And I've known many pastors who have engaged these, these, this art, if you want to call it that, because that's what he's calling it. They've, they've been using these these strategies, these plans to grow their church. And in fact, what's happening is it's easy to get a crowd, but it's quite another thing to lead them to Christ. And so at the conference that we were at this summer, I'm not going to name the, the conference, but one of the speakers said that after the COVID, after, after COVID was done and people started coming back to church, he had lost half his church. And of course, nobody addressed the elephant in the room. First of all, it's not your church. The church is the body of Christ. And secondly, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So you say, well, Pastor Allen, then what is our job? Our job is to make disciples. It's Jesus' job to make a church. Can I get a witness this morning? This is, this is what we all need to understand today. So some of you have asked me, Pastor Allen, why don't we use more attractional methods to get people to church? And my answer to that is simple. I can't find it anywhere in the Bible. I have to do what the Scripture tells me. I have to rely 
on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So while other churches have lost 50 to 75% of their congregation, we haven't. <laughs> to God be the glory, great things he has done. And so what you need to understand, my friends, is that Christianity is not a club that you decide to go to every Sunday so that you can sing a few songs around the campfire. Well, it's not a real campfire, but it kind of feels like that. Many of the songs we sing, they, they have about as much meaning as kumbaya. Who knows what that means? What we need in order to see the church go forward, in order to see souls saved, in order to see God's work done on earth, in order to see God's will done, in order to see his kingdom advance, is we need to see and know and understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's critical. Otherwise, folks, we're just playing games here. In 2018, the Pope lamented the ongoing trend to repurpose churches. Some are being used for pizza joints. Some churches have been used for skate parks. Can you believe a church being turned into a skate park? And I'm talking like a Roman Catholic kind of church, you know, with, with the high altar and, and on and on. And some churches have even been transformed into strip clubs and bars. It's shocking to believe that, isn't it? But folks, the minute that you forget the Holy Spirit is the minute that churches, church buildings are turned into strip joints and all manner of, of other uses. Now, can I remind everybody of something else? The church is not the building. The church is the people who have received the Holy Spirit. Did you understand that today? The Holy Spirit at work within his people. In Germany, they saw 500 Catholic churches closed since the year 2000. And coincidentally, Quebec has also seen 500 Catholic churches closed since 2000. In the 1950s, it says 95% of Quebecers went to church. Well, today that number is close to 5%. 90% don't even bother going to church, any say. And, and, so, and so I read further this article, and this is the conclusion. They say this is the result of a lack of willing clergy to staff churches and an inability to meet costs. My response to that is what a lot of hogwash. It has nothing to do with money or willing clergy. It has nothing to do with, with, with any of these things. But you see, with this kind of thinking, it's all about what I do, and if I don't do my thing, then God can't do his thing. You see, this is the difference between a man-centered theology and a God-centered theology. Cross Church freely and joyfully declares that our theology is God-centered. We don't begin with man, we begin with God. We don't begin with our ideas, we begin with God and what his word tells us. We don't begin with, with our wisdom, we begin with the wisdom of God. The real problem is the absence of the Holy Spirit. And folks, listen to me, if you're having problems in your family and you wonder why your kids are, are struggling and maybe even avoiding God, could it be that that there's a, 
a lack of the Holy Spirit at work in your home or in your marriage or wherever it is that you go. So, Jesus says to his apostles, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift, sends you the gift that he promised. Because we can't do God's work without his help. Everybody understands that. I need God's wisdom. I need God's strength. I need God's strategy. I need God's guidance. And we see that. The Apostle Paul sets out to preach the gospel in, in, in Asia Minor, and, this, and the Spirit of God comes to him in a dream and shows him a vision of a man from Macedonia calling to Paul, come to us. And so Paul changes, just changes his strategy, changes his direction mid-course and takes off for Greece. Wow. Listen, if you want to know how God works, it's not so much, well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to tell God what to do. How many know that? So many people think that's what prayer is. I'm, we're going to, I, I got to get to a prayer meeting because God is waiting to find out what he should do next. That's man-centered theology. I need to get before God because I need to give God some advice. Because God doesn't know what he's doing. But it's blasphemous, isn't it? No, we have a God-centered theology, and we declare that God is great, <laughs> omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. I'm not going to go to God, and I'm not going to tell God how to, how to do the, jo- the business of running this world. I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to get my heart and my mind aligned with his heart. Why? So that I can do his will. And how do we do this? Well, through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we need the Holy Spirit? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do his work. As pastors, as elders, church staff, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, as parents, whatever your role is at church here, you can't do this work in your own strength. And I, I kind of I kind of marvel at this because some people think, oh well, I don't want to be a, a lowly usher or a lowly greeter or a, a lowly parking lot attendant. Listen, this is not there's nothing lowly about this. Ultimately, every one of us is called to serve others. Does everybody understand that? And we talked about this when we went through the fruit of the Spirit. Our big problem is our self. Isn't that true? Self is your big problem. And once you put self to death, and by the way, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must what? You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You have to die to yourself. When you die to yourself, then it's, as Paul tells us, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. How does Christ live in us? By his Holy Spirit. Now, as we go into the fall, what we need to do is we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do the work that he's called us to do. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. What, what do we do next, Lord? Show us, Lord, what is your will. 
In fact, Jesus tells us to pray every day. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is your daily prayer. What you're saying is, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me, show me what you want me to do. But I want you to see something else. The Holy Spirit is given not just so that we can fulfill the Great Commission. The Holy Spirit is given so that we can actually follow Christ. Because here's here's the thing. You can't even be a Christian without the Spirit at work in you. Does everybody understand that? In fact, the evidence that you are a Christian is that the Spirit is in you and producing fruit. We, just, we talked about that all summer long, didn't we? That's the evidence. So Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to God at all. That's what it says here. The evidence that you are a Christian is that you are producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. This is why we discuss this. This is why I've called it a checklist. You need to check that checklist to see whether or not the Spirit is at work in you. And if, if in fact, you can't produce that fruit, it's probably because... Well, good chance you're not born again, or you're backslidden. And this is a call by God, by the Spirit, to return to him and allow him to reign in your heart. Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 7, 21 to 23, and I I find this some of the most terrifying scripture in the whole Bible. Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Did you notice it's the will of the Father, not my will, not my strategy, not my ideas, not my plans, not my kingdom? Jesus says, on judgment day, many will say to me, but Lord, 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 the reason he says that is that's a a sign of intimacy, uh, uh, the, the idea that these people thought they were intimate with Christ. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we perform many miracles in your name. And then Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is shocking stuff, isn't it? This is a reminder to us that we need to be people who've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor Allen, how does that happen? It happens by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who lived for you, the one who died for you, the one who was resurrected for you. You put your faith in that one. You've heard me tell you this before. Jesus lived for us. Jesus died for us. He was resurrected for us. When you put your faith in Christ, my friends, you receive all that Christ has done for you. In fact, the doctrine of union with Christ says you become one with Christ. So just as Christ lived out the law of God perfectly, so he did that for you. And you receive that by faith. 
Jesus died on the cross, and so you died on the cross with Christ. And then when Christ rises from the dead, you rise from the dead as well. That's the gospel. That's the good news. My friends, when you put your faith in the Christ who has done this for you, that is, my friend, the day that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and dwell within you richly. I don't ever want to hear God say, I never knew you, away from me. I don't want to be called an evildoer. I want to know that my place is firmly established in heaven. I don't want to be doing this, I hope, I hope. I can't tell you the number of people that I have been with at their deathbed, and I'll say, are you ready to meet the Lord? And they say, well, I hope so. And I say, well, you know, we better have a conversation before you die. We got to make sure that you understand what faith in Christ is really all about. Because I can tell you this, once you put your faith in Christ, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that eternal life is yours and you will be with him forever. So friends, listen to this. Because I know some of you are sitting here thinking, man, I don't know if I can live this Christian life. And I say, of course you can't live this Christian life. You don't have the ability. You haven't got the power to do it. But here's the good news. As Paul says, to the Philippians, for God is working in you by his spirit, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Someone say hallelujah. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the message that the world needs to hear. When you come to church every Sunday, you don't come to hear a psychology lesson. You come to hear the good news about what Jesus Christ has done for you. You've come to hear about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, enabling you to live this life he's called you to live so that on that day when you stand before Christ, he'll say, welcome home. Welcome home, my beloved. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for our faith, our faith that is built on the bedrock of the resurrection. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know that Jesus rose from the grave. And because of that, Lord, we are assured of eternal life. Because of this this infallible truth, because of this, this, this evidence that is beyond question, Lord, we know that this is what we put our hope in. This is what we know. Father, we pray today that if there's anyone here who has not yet put their faith in Christ, if there's any here today who are not sure where they stand with you, let this be the day, Lord, when when men and women would cry out to you and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Take control of my life and let your spirit reign and dwell within me richly. And Father, we thank you today that your spirit is given to all who believe so that we can say with Paul, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Father, thank you today for your spirit who comes to dwell in us, enabling us giving us the desire and the, and the power 
to do what pleases God. And so, Father, go with us from this place with joy and with great hope, great assurance that we belong to Christ and that our place is secure in heaven. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go in the power of the Spirit.